With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Focused on the facts. The Ozzy Cossack. On today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT Radio's Ozzy Cossack with you uh, for a continuation of our show tonight. Saturday night, the 18th of November. In the world, there are a few superpowers. Let's just face it. You've got uh, the Western Hemisphere, you've got the Eastern Hemisphere, you've got China, you've got Russia, you've got the United States. And what we've seen lately in the last few days is an attempt by the United States to try to draw China closer, at least present the optics to the rest of the world in the media of China being a country who is closer to the United States. And I think this is what explains Albanese's trip to China straight after the United States. Don't forget his trip to China was unplanned and he announced it the day before leaving to the US. This to me is very clear that the United States had told in advance Anthony Albanese, our prime minister in Australia, uh, that they intend to rehabilitate their relationship with China and as to not have Albo left holding the baby you know, in a uh, relationship being a third wheel, so to speak, uh, they told Alba, look, we're, gonna, we're intending to repair a relationship with China and off you go, go to China and do the same. So you're not left out in the cold, which is exactly what Alba did, inviting uh, the Chinese to reignite their relationship with Australia in trade, in investment, uh, brandishing lobsters, Australian wine and all sorts of other export import products. Now, uh, the United States did a lot of uh, work and preparation to show, at least demonstrate uh, the relationship, the amendment of that relationship with China. Uh, why is the question? Well, because China has been drawn into the arms of Russia, the open arms, and Russia has been in turn drawn and pushed into the open arms of China. And they have, I quote, become more than allies, more than close friends, more than partners, uh, the uh, relationship between Russia and China is uh, very, very strong. And of course, that was causing a headache for the Americans. Uh, the Americans put on a nice spread, did their best, even cleaned up all the homeless on the streets of San Francisco and created a modern-day Potemkin village. What's a Potemkin village? I'm sure some of you have heard of that term, but it's back in the days of uh, the Russian Empire where uh, Knyaz Potemkin, a Russian uh, uh, local leader, uh, had to prepare the countryside, the village, the villages in preparation of a visit by the emperor. And in order to show the emperor that everything was fine, everything was going great, they created a Potemkin village. They named it after him. Which, so they planted trees up and down the roads. They painted the houses. And they even fed the peasants beer and bread to make them uh, look nice and plump and fat to suggest that uh, life is good and there is no shortages of food and there is no problems in the countryside for the emperor. Well, fast forward to 2023, a few hundred years later, and it's the Americans who are creating the Potemkin villages for the Chinese premier. You know, amazing, amazing. The Chinese premier rocking up to San Francisco, getting off his big Air China Boeing 747 and uh, driving through the streets. And overnight, the problem of homelessness in San Francisco was solved, uh, solved by the appearance of a Chinese premier. Well, perhaps the Chinese premier should visit more often. Perhaps he should do a a whole uh, nationwide tour of American cities, fixing the problem of homelessness across the United States. Of course, all of that work was undone in one moment, in one second, 
where President Joe Biden had a uh, brain fart Biden moment and he uh, called Xi Jinping a dictator. Uh, I mean, hilarious, populist, pathetic, disgraceful. I mean, his advisors and Blinken actually did do a literal a face palm, uh, you know, the body language on Blinken's face when Biden said that was uh, absolutely priceless. Uh, all that work undone and, uh, and rather than have headlines in the news about the great and lasting impression that Biden had left uh, upon the relationship of the American uh, government with the Chinese government, a new scandal has erupted and the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs lashing out, saying that these words are erroneous and irresponsible. There you go. Bad luck to Biden. He's not a very good diplomat at all. He's not a very uh, switched on character. It's an embarrassment. I don't know. I don't know why he's there. I mean, he, if anything, he's actually beneficial to China. He's beneficial to Russia by having such a person in there. Uh, just talking on the American subject, breaking news uh, from the United States. Trump says that he wanted to join the January 6th crowd. A Colorado court has found that Trump uh, was involved uh, in the storming of the Capitol on January the 6th, 2021. Uh, the judge admitted that uh, the politician provoked the insurrection through his actions and public statements. Uh, Trump was uh, told I was going to, and then the Secret Service said, you can't. And then by the time I would have, and then when I get back, I said I wanted to go back. I was thinking about going back during the problem to stop the problem, doing it myself, but the Secret Service didn't like that idea too much. That's just a bit of breaking news, hitting the headlines. Uh, without further ado, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to uh, invite uh, our key guest for the evening, uh, regular guest of ours. If you've been listening for the last few weeks, her name is Syrian Girl, also known as Maram Susti. Syrian Girl, I love to call you Syrian Girl. It's got a great ring to it. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Call me anything you like. Well, Syrian Girl's got a good ring to it. Uh, Syrian Girl, tell us uh, what happened over the weekend. What's happening with the rallies, the Worldwide Freedom Rally? What do you know? What's the latest intel? Well, uh, as you know, we tried to have a rally, the Freedom Movement tried to have a rally uh, for a ceasefire in Gaza, for ending World War III, and for Australian neutrality. And we got cancelled by the police. I think you said that they wouldn't let us go get on the bridge. And then lo and behold, we, I saw, you know, a day later, there was an article in Crikey, which is a left-wing Australian magazine, that started saying, oh, the right are trying to hijack the Palestinian cause. And uh, have, you, have, have, sorry, have you got that article in Crikey? I'd love to uh, have a little listen to it if you've got it there. Because I know yeah, I think I it's, it's, look, it's, it's behind the paywall. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be cheeky here. We're going to read the article to you because we don't believe in sponsoring or supporting Crikey. So, go ahead. What you're about to hear uh, is a content warning. It's not actually fact or truth. It's not from us. This is what Crikey are saying, and Crikey are a well-known uh, troublemaker. Uh, so, go ahead and uh, read us. What has Crikey written? Let's have a listen. Well, you know, it's a long article, so I don't know which sections you want. I just sent it to you, um, so you can maybe also hear it from your baritone voice. But a few people were named. Uh, your photo was featured. My uh, handle was also featured. And the headline says, Australia's far-right figures are trying to co-opt the pro-Palestine movement. It's written by Cam Wilson. Simeon Boykov, a flyer for pro-Palestine protests by anti-vaccine anti-lockdown organizers uh so this is what they've they've sent they featured that flyer that we had for the rally in sydney 
anti-fascist researchers have warned that accounts with histories of far-right activism are taking advantage of pro-Palestine content. Now imagine, first of all, the, the classification of far-right, I don't know where that comes from, uh, but you know, anything that isn't far-left is obviously far-right by these people's standard. And uh, you know, if, imagine if this sentence said, instead of uh, far-right activism is taking advantage of pro-Palestine content, what about far-left activism taking advantage of pro-Palestine content? Should I read on? Yeah, Can continue, you continue. Let's in, entertain us. I would love to hear what the, uh, the crazy <laughs> lefties are, are saying. Well, it gets, I don't know how what part I should read, but please uh, check it out also yourselves. Uh, no, 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 don't do that. Do not check it out, guys. We're not going to direct traffic to no, Crikey. No, no, I'm don't check it out. You can hear it here, but don't check it out. I'm <laughs> no, not going to direct one click don't towards them. You know, if we advertise this, no. we're going to have all our listeners going to go and click on Crikey. There's going to be a payable. They're going to go and pay their $3 to read the article, and we're going to be financing the enemy in a sense, aren't we? So uh, give, us your, sure. give us your most spiciest quotes. What, out, what right, outraged yeah. you most? Well, okay, you know, what the thing that outraged me most is, uh, if, if I can find it here, it's a little bit of a, a longer story. Uh, here we go. Uh, all right, here we go. Conspiracy and freedom movement watcher Scobie McKay noted that X account, meanwhile, in Melbourne, which was sharing footage of pro-Palestine protests, has long promoted far-right agitation against migrants and the LGBTQ community. Researcher Tom Tanuki said anti-lockdown figures had contacted him in support of his pro-Palestine activism, but he said he wouldn't work with them over their history of anti-LGBTQ activism. So essentially what this guy is saying is that if you don't agree on, uh, you know, uh, LGBTQ stuff, therefore uh, he's not going to work with you to stop a genocide or World War III. What does so LGBTQ just, have to do with the Palestine cause? Yeah, that's the thing. I don't understand why, how somehow in people's minds, the Palestinian National Liberation Cause, the cause to end genocide, all of that has somehow, it cannot be like in the West, for some reason, it has, sodomy has to feature as part of that. Like it has to be LGBTQ stuff has to be part of that. Don't, it makes zero sense. Like what is that? What do the two things have to do with each other? How did how did we get to this point where you cannot exfiltrate the two things or separate them? You can't be pro-Palestine unless you support transing the kids. Like it doesn't make any sense. And I think what I suspect has happened is that uh, some of these, you know, these groups that need to, uh, you know, jump on a cause, have taken on the Palestinian cause and they've latched themselves onto it. To the point where it does it's not like uh, the Palestinian cause anymore. It's their cause, and uh, it's it's the Palestinian cause helping their left-wing causes rather than the left. So what, what, you're, what you're saying is you're directly accusing these extreme woke left uh, characters of basically uh, using the Palestinian cause to promote their alphabet soup movement and their sort of uh, usual work agenda. Precisely. I mean, uh, it, I've heard that they go to these rallies and they pass around uh, pro-abortion, pro-LGBT pamphlets. And it's like, what do the two things have to do with each other? We're here because there's a literal genocide and 4,000 kids are dead. Like, how, how is this related to 
whatever your bizarre other like side quest is. It, it has nothing, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So I would like to read you two other paragraphs because we're in Simeon if you're interested. Please, please, go ahead. Pro-Russian commentator Simeon Boykov, a reg <laughs> registered, I'm sorry, should I even read this? Please, a registered please. Russian foreign agent, <laughs> registered, who goes by the online alias Ozzy Kozak. I don't, I didn't realize there was a registration for that kind of thing here. Goes by the online alias Ozzy Kozak, has helped organize and promote a coming pro-Palestine protest. The worldwide rally for freedom has been a regular protest since the start of the pandemic and has traditionally called for anti-vaccine, anti-lockdown demands. You know, it, you know, sorry, I'm not going to add my own commentary, but I'll do later. It, its protest scheduled for this weekend in Sydney is branded as Free Palestine and is calling for a ceasefire, God forbid. Other figures have thrown their support behind it, uh, so let's see. I'm just going to find my story. So let's let's clarify that first point there. When they say a registered foreign agent, and what they're referring to is my decision uh, approximately two two months ago, after receiving Russian citizenship, and uh, after being held up in the Russian consulate for so long, I was actually offered a contract uh, by Sputnik, which is a Russian media agency, which is part of the. Russia Sigodnia uh, media group, one of the largest media groups in Russia. In fact, that's Russia Sigodnia owns RT, owns Sputnik, owns uh, RIA no, uh, Novosti. It's big, probably one of the biggest in the country. Now, I was offered to be a contributor. I said, fantastic. Why not? You know, I'm happy to write for them, happy to uh, post things for them. And uh, that's nothing unusual or strange about that. Being a journalist is not a crime yet in the West. However, because it's a foreign company, because it's a foreign company, uh, just as if you were a contributor or a journalist for the BBC, for CNN, for France 24, for DW, the German News, or Al Jazeera, or El Mayadeen, or Fox News, you're required to declare that. So when when the, when that crikey article says that I'm a declared Russian agent, all they're simply referring to is the fact that uh, I'm listed on the Foreign Transparency Scheme Register voluntarily. It's not like the governments had pointed their finger at me and said, oh, yes, this man is a foreign agent. Uh, that's not true. It's uh, it's actually uh, I myself, to clarify, have put myself on that register uh, to declare my activities as a journalist. And that, in fact, is uh, a sign that it is not covert. There's nothing to hide. It's nothing unusual. And there's nothing bad about that. On that register, on that transparency scheme, there are four former prime ministers there are there are dozens and hundreds of people that work in the australian government or have worked in the australian government previously if you're receiving any type of uh, uh benefit or income or working at all with any foreign entities if you work for coca-cola if you work for mercedes-benz it's a german company if you work for apple it's an american company if you work for uh huawei it's a chinese company if you work for uh, I don't know, whatever. If you work for another company around the world overseas, you have to register that. Otherwise, then it's uh, viewed poorly and that's when you can get yourself in trouble. So to clarify that for our listeners, I mean, uh, is that factual to call uh, Simeon Boykov, the Aussie Cossack, a registered foreign agent? Well, it probably is factual. Uh, is it a bad thing? No, it's not. Uh, so anyway, continue. Oh, I'm sorry for interrupting. Like, yeah, they, please. Would they, would they stick that label onto Avi Yemeni? Because he's working for an Israeli-Canadian who runs rebel media by the name of Ezra Levant. So is, are they going to start calling him a registered foreign agent? 
And then, you know, you have Rupert Murdoch, who threw away his Australian citizenship and acquired uh, American citizenship. Is he now, he's running a lot of media in Australia. Is he now a foreign agent? I just think that this is a very, uh, you know, selective bias coming from these people. Uh, and we, we know the mainstream media here, you're not allowed to uh, have a platform, you're not allowed to have a say. And they, they've left people no alternative. They have to create alternative media. Um, so it just, it, it, it's basically, you know, these people as well, a lot of these organizations, they, they, they really hate Russia. They hate, uh, pretty, pretty much they hate everyone at the end of the day. And especially because Russia has Eastern values, they've retained their own identity. They definitely hate it for that. Uh, I, will, I will read you the part about me. Just, just to answer that question there, before you read the part about you in that article, uh, your question about Avi Yemeni, uh, I've checked as, we, as we're speaking, the studio has just done a quick search for us. Attorney General's Department, the Australian Government, and you can view this on transparency.ag.gov.au. You can actually search who's on the register, and a simple search yields that uh, neither Rebel News, neither RVMNE are registered as foreign journalists on that register. They are not uh, registered as foreign principals, and their activities, their journalism activities are not registered. So good question, uh, good question that you've put. No, uh, we all know that Rebel News is a, is a you know, company that's based from Canada, uh and they for some reason have not declared uh to register uh but let's just jump to a very quick break and as soon as we get back we're going to continue with this uh, conversation to hear about what the left is accusing syrian girl of in relation to the palestinian protests around the country you're listening to tnt radio we'll be back shortly tnt radio's joe hoft we're in a situation like never before in world history we've been through world wars but what we're seeing now is just amazing we've either got communism where it's just the government the government runs things and that's just the way it is your soul is gone it's diminished there's nothing else and or uh fascism where you have the government working with big industry which seems to be the model that's being pushed on uh, the west um really by all these guys that are in the eu and, and world economic form they all have connections to the uh, fascists from uh, the past Nazis in, in Germany. He, she mentioned the guy, the head of Luxembourg, who used to be the head of uh, the EU, the guy who was drunk all the time. Huh? His family uh, were, were Nazis and they looted and stole booty from Jews during World War II and became wealthy. It's similar to the Soros family. These are the kind of people uh, that are continuing with their initiative to, to rule the world through fascism. Joe Hoft on TNT Radio. subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. 
Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNTradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Here we go. So just before we were rudely interrupted by our lovely sponsors and our lovely advertisers, uh, we are back to speaking with Syrian girl um thanks for staying on staying tuned and join the conversation 1-800-670-310 or tntradio.live to have your say syrian girl uh you're about to uh go through this uh crikey uh hit piece that they've put together uh, what have they said about you in that hit piece well uh, actually i was surprised it wasn't so bad they said similarly syrian australian conspiracy theorist but i'm susli who uses syrian girl and partisan girls, her online nom de plume, has shared posts advertising the protests, God forbid, as well as amplifying Aussie Cossacks' other anti-Israel content, such as a conspiracy theory that Israel was behind Australia's lockdowns. Okay, I'm pretty sure it was the other way around. I was the one that made that post. Uh, and I didn't say it was Israel. I said that Israel's, uh, that the CEO of Pfizer is Israeli. So that's, I mean, it's a, it's a mischaracterization. That's a fact, you know? So uh, this guy, you know, the, the, the notion that it's not okay to have anti-Israel content when talking about freeing Palestine is also very, very interesting. Well, how, how, how do they expect to a campaign for freeing Palestine if they can't say the I word? Well, yeah, well, let's see. Let's, let's, uh, well, you know, apparently there's, there's lines in the overtone window we're not allowed to cross uh, and, you know, the, only the left knows about them. So I'll just finish off here. Other members of the freedom movement have been involved in pro-Palestinian protests. Former anti-vaccine solicitor, solicitor Serene Tifaha spoke at a Free Palestine rally in Geelong in early November. Telegram group Sydney Freedom Channel promoted a Sydney-based United for Palestine protest last weekend. And similarly named Sydney Freedom Community shared a highlighted reel of the protest after it happened. So this is like really nice to hear actually. I think that he made... He made us look very good. He made the freedom movement look very good. And uh, he finishes off with, it isn't my place to say how broad a church anti-genocide activism should be, but I'll not go there, he tweeted, which is interesting because, you know, uh, essentially I, I remember the AI, uh, chat GPT in the early days, they asked it, is it better to drop a nuclear bomb on a city if in order, is it better to prevent a nuclear bomb from going off in at a city if you are required to say a politically incorrect word in order to stop the nuclear bomb from going off? And the AI answered, no, it's better not to say the bad word. It's just like the priorities that these people have is wild. And they've got, they've got a stranglehold on the movement. And, and I think this article is quite revealing because you know the way that they write it is Australia's far-right figures are trying to co-opt the pro-Palestine movement and this is what their mentality is. It's because they're the ones that are co-opting the pro-Palestine movement. They're the ones that are trying to uh, gatekeep who gets to be part of, uh, you know, opposing genocide and opposing World War III because they get more out of it than anyone. They're, they're the, they get recruits. They get to sell their magazines. Uh, and you know, it's interesting that when the freedom movement, 
you know, it's, this is about freedom at the end of the day. It's about liberty and life and, uh, you know, human, human rights. It's interesting when the freedom movement was pro-Assange or stop AUKUS, you know, they were fine with it. But when it comes to Palestine, suddenly we see the ugly side of their face and suddenly they're like, no, you can't, you can't, you can't stand in this lane. Like we have, this is our baby. This is, this is what we've controlled. We've got, you know, this stranglehold on it. Uh, what is it? Look, you're, you're, you're very close. Sorry, sir. you're very close to the conflict. You're geographically, ethnically, uh, politically, demographically, every sense of it. You're very close to this. In fact, I know that you've told me previously that you have about more than 10 people that are close to you who have actually been killed in the conflict. And my condolences and the condolences of our listeners, this is a conflict that's very close to home for you. I'm so afraid you, I, can't, uh, I can't say that they were very close to me, but I know some people. Yes, yes that's fine. Uh, the, the, the point is, uh, you know those people, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a great tragedy for you. Now, how does it make you feel? How does it make you feel when you're seeing these rallies, let's say, in Sydney at Hyde Park or in Melbourne, where you've got the Socialist Alliance, the Green Left, the Queers for Palestine with LGBT flags, and then you've got the Palestinians there, women are wearing hijabs you know the men have got beards they they've come with their children they've got big families now how do these people feel these palestinians the real palestinians right uh when they're being given brochures and pamphlets about abortion and about uh, alphabet soup lgbtqf era xyz uh, propaganda uh, at a pro-palestinian rally just try to explain what's the uh what's the mentality how is that received by the palestinians themselves I think they feel used, like their blood is being used to promote an ideology and to push for, you know, some people to join and, and uh, buy magazines and pay a fee. It's just they're being used, right? But the thing is that they're desperate because their people are being killed. So they'll take any support. Unfortunately, the left, you know, when, it, when this, the left will only support you with preconditions. That's the problem. If only they would support you without these preconditions, but they're like, we'll only support you and help your, you know, people who are being bloodied if you allow us to sell this LGBT propaganda at your next rally. You know what I mean? So, and if you don't allow this and that person from the center right or this and that conservative to speak at your rally, or, you know, like you don't allowed to have a Christian prayer at your rally. In, this is actually something I've heard happen. So uh, this is the kind of thing where so you got you got Christians, Palestinian Christians, you got uh, Palestinian Muslims, you've got uh, Lebanese, Syrians, and all the other nationalities uh, around uh, that sort of from that region who border with Palestine, and you're telling us that when they try to pray at their own rally, at their own rally, they try to pray, they're actually being restricted, restricted from doing so by the left gatekeepers who have claimed control and assumed control over these rallies in Australia. Absolutely. And, you know, when you try to, like, build something in support, like a unified front, they they, they don't want you to, they, they can't have you. And this is what we're facing. But I think, I think we don't give up. We don't relent. Uh, people are dying. It is, like, going to be a threat to our uh, livelihoods as well because, of course, uh, the, these wars... Like the U.S. is printing money like crazy and the U.S. dollar is going to crash. The Australian dollar is going to follow. You know, we are, we're already at a breaking point when it comes to the economy. 
Um, this is a danger to us all. Of course, it could become a wider, wider war. And just as a person who loves freedom and humanity, you know, you wouldn't want to be like trapped in an open air concentration camp that Gaza is being bombed with 4,000, 6,000 ch children dead. Like that is just a human cause. It's got nothing to do with left or right. And I think like if you want to stick it to them, we keep going, we keep supporting Palestine and we keep building the movement. This is about freedom and not in our name. Uh, Australia should be neutral and not jump into supporting one side or the other uh, at the very least. Very interesting. Well, uh, tonight uh, there is going to be uh, another controversial, controversial uh, statement made on the OFC here at TNT Radio uh, about uh, the situation with the rallies in Australia. Uh, what I want to say next is that I want to directly accuse the left, directly accuse these uh, uh, gatekeepers, the left gatekeepers who have assumed control of the Palestine rallies, of actually feeding the pro-Israeli side ammunition. If you take a look at the rhetoric from, for example, Avi Yemeni, who is one of the uh, uh, loudest uh, pro-Israeli mouthpieces in Australia, undoubtedly, uh, he's actually using those optics to discredit, to discredit the uh, cause, the pro-Palestinian cause. Right? He's showing those optics. He's saying, look at this, you know, quiz for Palestine and so forth, right? And, you know, a lot of people would say that, especially conservative people on the right, and they would say, well, what a lot of nonsense, right? So this, the left is actually destroying the credibility of the Palestinian cause by gatekeeping it. But I guess we'll see what happens tomorrow in Sydney. We'll have reporters on the ground tomorrow reporting on that situation, and uh, there'll be international news media there. Uh, for example, Sputnik will have a team on the ground uh, bringing the direct uh, information from the source. And we'll be, we'll be chatting to protesters on the ground. There's an estimated 50,000 are going to be in Sydney tomorrow in Hyde Park. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see the optics and how that pans out and how the left behave. Let's just face it, uh, uh, Syrian girl, you've had conversations with the leaders of uh, the gatekeepers, with the leaders of the Palestine Action Group and so forth, these lefty groups. Tell our listeners, what's their reaction when, when you extend the olive branch, uh, when you extend the, the hand uh, of uh, support and collaboration and friendship? How do they react? Honestly, even here in Perth, you know, the, the freedom movement reached out to the uh, uh, head of the, um, these groups. And of course, they weren't Palestinian. They were someone who was, uh, you know, on the socialist alliance type person. And they said, we don't want to do have anything to do with you because you were anti-mandate. That's it. Not even anything to do with any other reason, like they're claiming in the article, right wing, uh, LGBT. No, no, just simply because they were anti-mandate. And, you know, the, our movement here, like, explained, well, uh, it, this is about human rights, of course, like both the Palestine and mandates is about people having freedom and being uh, allowed to live as they please uh, and, uh, you know, move around freely. The ability to move around is something that is a feature of both the anti-mandate uh, cause and the free Palestine cause because these people are not allowed to move around without permits just because they happen to not be the religion of the state of Israel. So, uh, you know, we're just, uh, why would you be anti-mandate? Why would you be so, so claiming to be pro-freedom but be pro-mandate? It doesn't make any sense. But that's it. So I've heard, but then you know you speak to Palestinians and you tell them 
by the way, the head of your organization, which also, by the way, isn't Palestinian, uh, told us he doesn't want to work with us because of his ideological uh, position. Of course, they're very angry about that, and they should be. Um, and unfortunately, I, like I don't know how they can. Uh, I, I think they're in such a desperate position that they can't. They can't even remove that. But I also think that they're looking around like who's going to support us, and we have to build. We have to show them that it's not just the left that's going to support you. You know, normal people, normal like grassroots Australians who aren't like these guys can be an alternative and you don't have to rely on these people. You don't have to capitulate to them because it's good to have support. It's good to have uh, like LGBT people supporting Palestine. It's good to have people on the left supporting Palestine, but not if it blocks off everybody else and says only us, we're the only ones allowed to sell our magazines on this corner by, by you know, while Palestine bleeds. So that's, that's what I have to say. And I think this is the start where we build this alternative. So in the uh, freedom movement in Australia, you would have heard of uh, people like Rukshan Fernando, Avi Yemeni, Craig Kelly, Renee Eves, Steve Dixon, Dr. William Bay, Deborah Yuli, Stephen Andrew, Morgan Jonas. Now, right now, as we speak, they are gathered now in Brisbane, uh, having an event called Courage and Strength, an evening dedicated to the advancement of Australian action taking. Avi Yemeni's flown back from London to attend this event uh, with his friend Morgan Jonas. Now, I understand what they're trying to do here. You understand what they're trying to do here. They're rallying sort of in their corner for their cause. Uh, I'm going to end our session here with you with these thoughts, uh, Syrian girl. When yes. the Russians were under attack, right? When the Russians, the Russophobia everywhere, did Morgan Jonas stand by the Russians? Did he call out the Russophobia? Did Avi Yemeni call out the Russophobia at the beginning of a special military operation? Did they ever make one statement? Did they ever say anything uh, against the anti-Russian rhetoric, which was just going rife through the media and social media? The answer, ladies and gentlemen, is no. And that's a lesson for you. They actually desensitized. By attacking the Russians like that, they desensitized uh, the general public. They desensitized social media and now uh, when they are under attack their people their cause uh the desensitization which occurred is now coming back to hit them in the face with a boomerang well the lesson here is uh when you deny your friends don't expect your friends to come to your aid when you need that help uh, without elaborating on that i'll just leave it uh, there with those words thank you very much siren gill for joining us it's always a pleasure we're going to be back to uh, speak with Natasha Quirk in Moscow. Stay tuned. Don't go away. Thank you very much. Uh, stay tuned. Don't go away. After this break, we'll be back with more Natasha Quirk in Moscow joining us. Thank you very much. After the break, stay tuned. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Once again, I'm going to quote from my buddy Mark Marano's Climate Depot. This is just unbelievable what I see going on at this summit between Biden and the Chinese government. As a matter of fact, the most alarming thing is that John Kerry was anywhere around that place. These two guys and their administrations have been bullying the United States of America over a problem that even if it existed, we have very little to do with it. Australia, UK, you have nothing to do with it. Canada, you have nothing to do with it. Seriously, if you look at the amount of CO2 you put in the air compared to total CO2, it truncates to zero. 
Now, who is the biggest polluter, if you want to call CO2 pollution? It's China. So expert raise alarm after Biden strikes climate agreement with China to shut down fossil fuels. What, what kind of insanity is this? China thumbs their nose and laughs at the rest of the world. And guess what? It's our fault they do it. You know why? They know darn well that this is not a big disaster. They know darn well they have to push forward their population. I mean, I realize China's in bad shape as far as freedoms go, but they are trying to work in their own whatever manner to try to create more freedoms and more prosperity for China. So of course they're going to sit there and try to stop the United States. And these guys just walk right into it. It's disgusting. Americans are letting a guy and his buddy John Kerry bully them over a situation they have precious little to do with. Let me read you the facts. CO2 is 0.042% of the atmosphere. Man is responsible for 3 to 5% of that. The United States is responsible for 10% of that total. Australia, Canada, the UK, about 1%. Essentially, it's nothing. Much ado about nothing. A weaponized weather in a phony climate war. It's unbelievable. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. I need to go get my rabies shots. Prescription drug pricing points to corporate mountain. Freedom of the press is about your right to know. It's about your right to be informed. Today, no. there are real threats to press freedom. And your right to know about the world around us. We must protect our right to know, no matter what kind of news is important That's to you. Before it's too late, understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org You're with the Aussie Cossack on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Here we go with the final uh, stretch of the show. Time goes very quickly when we're together on a Saturday night. And welcome back to all of our regular listeners uh, who always tune in uh, during uh, their free time on a Saturday night. Uh, of course, uh, you can also tune in to uh, hear uh, my contributions to the Lambert OPEC show during the week at 5 o'clock on weekdays for a short segment with a a brief update to stay in touch with the news and the latest current affairs. But uh, last week we spoke to a lady, a teacher who was uh, laid off uh, f because of the mandates, because of refusing to get the vaccination, an Australian uh, woman who whose ancestors came to Australia in the 1800s and who uh, has a uh, family and husband and kids in Brisbane, had to stop working because she refused to get the death jab. And in the end, sought freedom and moved to Russia. Uh, we were having a great interview last week about this, and we got to the point where she told us the story. She had moved to Russia, settled down in Moscow, and we ran out of time. So we've got Natasha Quirk back on the line from Moscow. Natasha, welcome back to TNT Radio. Good morning, Simeon. Glad to be back. Good morning in Moscow. Good evening in Sydney. Well, uh, you were telling us your story, your amazing story, where you decided to move to Russia. Uh, let's just start off from your time in moscow when you got into moscow if you, if you remember your feelings and emotions on the first day when you actually flew in and the plane touched down what were you expecting and as opposed to what actually uh was in front of you the reality that you were faced with <laughs> uh well 
I'd been told to expect about a seven-hour delay going through immigration from another Aussie that's um, also a teacher over here, and I've been in touch with him. And so I was expecting the worst. I actually had my son with me. He came as a chaperone, my 20-year-old um, oldest boy, and uh, he stayed for two weeks only and went back. So he came on a tourist visa. But uh, So he and I were expecting the worst, but we actually walked straight through. We didn't come through one of the main airports. We came through more of a, um, a one of the smaller international airports in Moscow. Unukova. And um, basically, yeah, uh, DME. Domodedova. Yes. So one of the smaller ones or no, well, Sharamentiva and Domodedovo are two large ones. Vnukovo is oh. uh, one that's more for official uh, trips. But in any case, uh, yeah. continue. Okay. Yeah, so we walked straight through virtually, apart from the essential checks, and thought, wow, that was easy. And um, went out and our uh, driver greeted us that I'd organised um, through a tour company that I used here um, in Moscow. And we thought, well, this is probably what we were expecting. It was quite grey at the time. Um, but uh, we were out in the back blocks, as you know, where DME Airport is, and drove in, took about an hour and a half to get to um, the hotel we were staying in in the city um, for the first couple of nights and started seeing this amazing, uh, beautiful architecture and thought, wow, um, okay, this is amazing. So then we obviously downed our bags and freshened up and we had a tour guide waiting for us and... Uh, she was um, amazing and the tour company that we used, I'm actually very friendly with one of, the, one of the tour guides that hosted us for a couple of days and she's become a really good friend and it's just been an amazing experience since the day we landed really and, um, yeah, what we saw was not what we expected. It was more vibrant. Um, just uh, The architecture is, as you would know, um, something that you don't, ever get to appreciate until you come here. So everyone I know I've told, get over here, just for the architecture. <laughs> so can you can you confirm uh, there are people in the comment section saying that Natasha is probably, um, has been recruited by the Russian government to advertise life in <laughs> Russia to Westerners? Is, how do you respond oh. to these outrageous allegations? <laughs> well, outrageous it is. Um, I think until you come here, you just don't uh, understand the extent of this or wonder of this beautiful uh, city. I have only ever been to St. Petersburg other than here, so I can only comment on the two. But I guess the country itself is, is just amazing wherever you go in different ways. But here in Moscow, well, if you touch down and you get to do what my son and I um, have done, my son, as I said, has gone home, but I'm living here day to day, you just get such a good feeling for the place and it's so contradictory and it's totally paradoxical to what we've ever been told about so there's no way anyone would have to pay me to tell you what i'm telling you now um from the vibrant food uh non-gmo food uh which actually started i think the bill came out in uh 2016 where there's no food allowed that's gmo affected so that's amazing in itself and, and mcdonald's so is banned yeah uh, i hate to yeah it is banned but there are but yeah since the sanctions, obviously, a lot of things left the country, but there's, uh, I guess, almost replicas of them still, unfortunately, <laughs> that have popped up. But, yeah, banned, you're right. Um, Starbucks is banned, but, you know, they have a coffee chain called Star Coffee. So there's a little play on words and very similar concepts. But 
honestly, um, the infrastructure here is absolutely second to none. The metro system, my goodness, um, it's it's uh, the best. So, in the are, world. You, are you saying that it's better than City Rail? <laughs> uh, yeah, and more frequent. And I'll tell you what, I've. I um, travel at the moment every day and um, back and forward to an appointment that I have with a physiotherapist and it cost me um, 54 rubles one way to go wherever I want throughout the whole of Moscow um, and then the same to come back. So just, just can convert that, That's about 87 yeah. cents Australian. Uh, yeah. yeah, to go wherever you want. You can just ride the metro all day and night as long as you don't exit for 54 rubles. <laughs> so no one's paid me, I promise, uh, except for the obviously the international school I'm working for. Um, but, you know, I'm a convert really at the moment. And um, well, What's your advice to enough. those people who are listening, and there are quite a few of them, who are interested hmm. in moving to Russia hmm. from the West? What's your advice? The advice is that, um, you have to take seriously the language barrier. I actually have um, a friend here who's a teacher. She told me, and actually she says, please say hi to Simeon. She's a subscriber to the Aussie Cossack channel and um, uh, loves you, Simeon. Her name's Maxine Moskova. Um, so <laughs> you might recognise the name. A big shout-out to Maxine Moskova from Russia. A big shout-out to she's a, yeah. She's from Australia, is she? Yeah, yeah, Newcastle girl. Amazing. Um, so there's a few of you up there that have made the break. Yeah, yeah, there's a guy from Brisbane that lives just like half an hour up the road from where we live in Brisbane, and he's here, and there's another guy from the sunny coast. He's here. So um, and so, so all these people yeah, that I, you, you, you you meet over there, all these Aussies in Moscow, did, did they all sort of make the move on the back of the government's mandates in Australia? No, they didn't. They came before COVID. Um, I'm the only one I know that's come since the mandates. Um, so Maxine, for example, has been here for, I think, just around between five and six years. So she came obviously before COVID, but she's, uh, yeah, none of them want to leave. I mean, they just love it here. It's the freedom that you get in Moscow is obviously, as I said earlier, it's and and I heard Syria girl talking about mandates equal for um you know it's the anti-mandate movement is is obviously fighting for freedom. Here you get the freedom, you know it's amazing. It's such a big place and there's so much nature right in the city. If you want to go into beautiful parks, um, but the country, as you know, the vastness is 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 amazing. So you can travel and be in another world, literally, um, within Russia, um, you know, staring across to Japan or, you know, to China or there's so many aspects to it. Um, so for me, the freedom is something and that's what they've said. That's why they stay. The mandates only lasted two weeks here because obviously they have a very smart, we have a very smart leader here who knew that it was affecting the economy, get back to work. So obviously not part of the new world order, not part of the evil World Economic Forum where the agenda is let's crush everything. No, the opposite. Let's get back to work. We're, we want to thrive. So this country has, you know, Moscow certainly has thrived since the sanctions. Um, the economy is doing so well. Uh, it's given locals a real chance to, you know, flourish in their business um, ventures and uh, do well personally. So there's a lot of new wealth in Moscow as well because of that a lot of people have specialized um recently become uh, entrepreneurial in the import export market 
Um, a lot of our clientele at the school I'm working at, um, as I said, there's a lot of new wealth, and that's why they can afford to send their kids to these schools. Uh, would it be would it be accurate to say that those opportunities, those entrepreneurial opportunities, uh, has that been generated in part by the Western sanctions? Have the sanctions from the West actually uh, had the opposite effect, and they have generated new markets, and they've forced Russia to start making its own uh, products, services, manufacturing and were thereby giving the opportunity for so many, many people over there to do business and make money and make wealth rather than those billions of dollars in transactions where they were going overseas to Western companies. Huh. Russia's sort of been forced and the opportunity, thanks to the sanctions from the West, has been given to uh, those people that you speak of. Would that be accurate to say? Oh, spot on, spot on. Yep. It's really nice to see how a country actually has made that has benefited obviously not from their own um actions but it's turned it's you know it's backfired on the west in many ways as we know uh and they've turned it around and they're benefiting themselves and it's it's fantastic to observe it to see what a country can actually do if they decide to um yeah take matters into their own hands well it's fantastic so, so russia's been forced hmm. out of the world economic forum forced out of the hmm. globalist financial banking systems forced out of hmm. all of these organizations who were only there to use russia really they were yep. never intending to yep. help russia it's a it's a great thing no. thank you we need war sanctions Absolutely. And um, Keep them coming. I think that, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Keeping the ruble in, in Russia is key as well. I, I mean, it's, you know, obviously that's, it's a very um, smart move because uh, obviously the country's benefiting economically and um, much to, um, you know, a lot of people's, um, I guess, uh, well, what's the word? I don't know. But I know that a lot of people think that Russia is communist and how could you be going to a communist country? It's absolutely not communist. That stopped in, what was it, 91, I think, um, when the Soviet Union was just, you know, um, ended. And I think that they have to understand this is a capitalist economy where people, you know, are allowed to have their own businesses. Uh, it's a really plenty, low tax rate. Plenty of cash going around. What is it? A twelve percent oh. tax you pay? Is it? Thirteen. Thirteen. Oh, thirteen. What, paid, what a tragedy. I'm, I know, <laughs> um, but no, there's plenty of cash going around. That was one of my, um, my husband and I our criteria for the country that we decided to move to had to be cash is still king. Absolutely here, cash is really, I mean, it's very, very advanced as well, though. Having said that, um, with digital um, purchasing, you know, on phones, and but it's so smart the way it's done. Everything's linked, linked to your phone number. So, um, you know, you can go to a local market, which I do, and sometimes if I haven't got enough cash, I just type in, get onto my phone, um, my banking app on my phone, and type in the marketeer's phone number, and the money that they, I have to pay them, and there's a transaction to, done. To, 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 to so, buy some real organic, non-GMO fruits oh, and vegetables and meat. Oh, oh, it is sensational. I'm actually um, doing the carnivore diet, so I am in heaven because I have a market here in the area that I live. Uh, it's about 10 minutes walk, and it's got actually the best meat in Moscow. It's the, the market for the meat. So I am living... Um, in, you know, that, that's a shocking life. allegation because right. the Australian government actually banned meat, lamb and beef exports from Australia to Russia. And Scott Morrison said, well, how are the Russians ever going to recover when they can't, you know, throw an uh, Aussie uh, lamb shank on the barbie? And you're telling us that they're, they're fine. <laughs> 
Oh, beautiful, grass-fed. I eat beef and lamb only and it is the most delicious and most uh, economic meat I've ever bought. Beautiful. Natasha, you, you, I, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. You sound like the Russian version of Sam Kekovich. <laughs> remember him? Well, no, I don't. I just thought I'd laugh. You don't, you don't remember him. <laughs> That's a very Russian thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm learning fast. Sam Kekovich, he was the guy on Australia Day. He used to say, my fellow Australians, this Australia Day, make sure you throw a lamb in the barbie. Make sure it's 100% oh. Australian ground lamb. Remember him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, yes, I do. Well, it's Russian lamb and it's even, I hate to say it because my husband's off the land and um, his father was fifth generation, uh, well, actually my husband's fifth generation farming. But, um, in Australia. Not that we farm. Yeah, in Australia, in country Victoria, and they were uh, sheep, wheat and beef. But unfortunately, this lamb and this beef is just um, another step up. And and Natasha, it's, it's, a, it's a bit more fatty, isn't it? It's more juicy, the Russian yeah, lamb, because yes, of winter. It is. It is. It's, it's Great beautiful. for making soups and things like that for the winter. Yeah, yeah it is. And um, it's just and it's grass-fed, and you just know that it's just a different way of um, doing, you know, farming, of growing their, their um, meat. Well, look, uh, but also the um, fruit and vegetables and all of the other produce that you see, it is just another. My son, who's an absolute, um, you know, foodie like me and loves really nutritious, you know, fruit, fruit and veg and, and meat, good meat, he was just blown away when, uh, when he was here at the array of produce. It's so colourful and vibrant. And it was actually the tail end of summer. So it was that... Um, People were really still tanned and just, oh, he just couldn't well, believe Well, let's it. talk oh. about prices. I mean, at the moment in Australia, a kilo of lamb cutlets will get will be anywhere from, you know, $40 in the suburbs uh, to mm. around about $70 to $80 uh, in the city, mm. the cost of mm -hmm. living. A kilo of lamb yeah. cutlets. So what's that in rubles? That's about 4,000 rubles for a kilo of lamb cutlets. Yeah. What would you pay for yeah. a kilo of lamb cutlets in Moscow if it's 4,000 rubles oh. in Australia? Yeah, yeah. You look. I don't buy lamb cutlets. I buy legs of lamb and <laughs> eat eat whatever I want at the moment. Like slice it off every night or every you know for lunch at work. But um, I can't tell you about cutlets. But what I can tell you is about a, a leg of lamb with the bone in, and approximately one point eight kilos is it costs me about 600 rubles which is about well 1000 rubles is about $16 so you know 600 rubles would it's, be um, I think it's about roughly $3.50 a kilo by my my calculations right. Australian yeah. dollars which is amazing yeah. well what can you get yeah. for $3.50 you couldn't even get no. a fillet of fish at McDonald's or a happy meal these days so there you go, cost no. of living, uh, the sanctions are against yeah. Russia, Russia's doing fine. Natasha, it's been an excellent update from you. I think we might continue our conversations, our weekly updates. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to uh, your colleagues in Moscow, the Australians who have made the move from the Sunshine Coast, from Victoria, to Maxine, from and all those Aussies that are there. I'm very proud of you all. You know, I'm proud of your accomplishment mm -hmm. and I'm proud that you've made that break, made that move. It's saddening that you've had to leave Australia as refugees to go to Russia because Australia is a beautiful mm -hmm. country, except under the SCOMO government, under the under the uh, ALBA government, it's going uh, down a hill at a fast rate. We're still here holding the line. Some of us are in the consulate locked up, so it may as well be in Russia. Uh, but Natasha, congratulations. Uh, you're enjoying life. You're in Moscow. And uh, uh, may you live uh, uh, happily and healthily for many years. 
And my regards to everyone who uh, knows of TNT Radio and the Aussie Cossack Show. Thank you very much. We'll speak to you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. <laughs>